0: From the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies, this is Pardes from Jerusalem. I'm Larry Kluger, a Pardes alum. This week, Shalach. Please take a moment this week to rate the podcast on iTunes or from wherever you receive your podcasts. Rating the podcast doesn't take much time, but does make a big difference. Thank you very much. This week, Shalach with Rabbi Alex Israel. Rabbi Alex Israel is a member of the Pardes faculty. And now, Rabbi Alex Israel. Thank you, Larry. How much are you influenced by others? By a conversation that you had at work today? By an article you saw on social media? Are we open to manipulation? I'll ask a second question. How much do you influence others? How much do you persuade the people around you? Do you think your ideas affect those with who you interact? A third question. Are you a leader? Do you look at yourself as a leader? Do you think that what you do and what you say... Hold sway over the people in your in your office, in your shul, in your home, in the environments in which you uh, in which you surround yourself. I raise these questions about influence and persuasion, about leadership, because I think they go to the very heart of our parashat Shavua, in which we read about twelve men, the spies, who go into the land of Israel and return with a report. And this report affects the entire nation. The nations sit down and cry and say that they want to go back to Egypt, and they are decreed that they will spend the next 40 years in the wilderness. Wow, 12 people have quite a degree of influence. However, what we're really going to deal with in this class today are two the two men who stood against the 12, or the two who stood against the 10. Kalev and Yehoshua, two great leaders the two, so to speak, good good spies, the ones who came back with a good report of the land. And I want to look at Kalev and Yahshua individually, not as a dynamic duo, but rather as two individuals with very, very different styles of leadership, two very different people who each work in independent ways uh, to hold their own against the majority, against the other 10 spies. And even though they are unsuccessful in changing the opinion of the people, I think we can learn a lot about styles of leadership, about modes of influence, about different dynamics, and maybe we can even think about ourselves in one of the guises of leadership, whether it is in the guise of Joshua, Yehoshua, or that of Kalev, that of Caleb. So let's uh, set sail into the pages of our parsha and try and raise a few questions um, as to to sort of separate out the personality of Kalev and Yehoshua and uh, see what we can say about these two special people. The parsha begins with the instruction, Shalach Lacha anashim, send forth men, v'yatura et heretz canaan, who will tour the land of Canaan. And uh, God tells Moses to send, Ish echad, Ish echad lematea avotav, To send uh, one person per tribe, this is more a diplomatic uh, delegation with full representation of all 12 tribes than a military espionage mission. And it goes through the list of all the different uh, spies... Eilah Shimotam, Lamatheruven Shimoa ben Zakor, to Shimon Shafa ben Hori, Judah Kalav the son of Yfunai, Issachar yigal ben Yosef, Ephraim Hoshiah ben Nun, and at the end of the list, we see an interesting um statement. It says, "Vaykram Moshe Hoshiah ben Nun Yehoshua." Then Moshe named Hoshea ben Nun, he named him Yehoshua. In other words, it sounds like previously his name had been Hoshea, and now he's named Joshua, Yehoshua. What could this possibly mean? Why does Moses give Joshua a special name? Interestingly enough, we've seen Yehoshua throughout uh, the Torah since uh, Shemot chapter 17, and he's always be- been referred as Yehoshua, as Joshua. Uh, when exactly did Moshe name uh, Hoshea? Give him the name of Yehoshua. Was it now? Was it before the battle against Amalek in Shemot chapter 17? When did it happen? If you open Rashi, Rashi makes a fascinating statement. And he says that what was the addition of a, a letter to Joshua's name? Nitpalel alav. Moses prayed for him and said, Ya Yoshiachah me'atzat maraglim. May God save you from the opinions of the spies. This is particularly troubling since it indicates that Moses sort of had a premonition that this mission was going to go terribly wrong, and that he was sending the wrong people, in which case, why did Moses send them? But having said that, what is really being indicated here? Moses specifically paying for Joshua, and what about all of the rest of them? So that's going to be our first question. What exactly is going on with the relationship between Moshe and Yehoshua why do we hear now about Moshe's naming of Yehoshua, his special name? I want to raise a second question. And here we'll turn to chapter 13, uh, Perek Yud Gimel, um, to the, the critical verse is going to be verse 30, Pasukul Ahmed. We're turning to the scene when the spies come back and, um, they come back to Moshe and Aaron. They'll call Adap Israel and to the whole community of Israel. And this is what they say. They say, Banu el ha'aretz We came to the land to which you sent us. The Gamsavat chalabudvashi vasepiriyah. Indeed, it's flowing with milk and honey. This is the fruit. Eveski az ha'amayoshev ba'aretz vaharim batsurot gdolot ma'od. But the people are fierce. The cities are heavily fortified. And we even saw the Gamili Anak, Rainusham, the sons or the children of the giants. Amalek is in the south of the country, the Chittites and the Jebusites and the Emorites are in the hills, uh, and the Canaanites are, are next to the sea and by the Jordan. And suddenly we hear Vayahas Kalev Etaam El Moshe Kalev back Moses and he hushed the people. Apparently, and here we didn't hear it in the text, but apparently we can hear by his reaction that the minute the people heard about this incredibly fortified, fierce nation that they are going to have to encounter, not even one nation, but several, right? We've heard the names, Amalek and Kanaan and the Chittites and the Jebusites and the Emirates, and they seem to be all over the country. Vayahas <speaking in Hebrew> Kalevetaam, Kalev shushed the people. And says, Let us ascend and let us take possession of the land because we can do it. And that's when the rest of the ten turn around and says we can't. They're too strong for us. Here's the question though. Where's Joshua? It's all Kalev. Kalev is standing alone. Moses is silent. Joshua is silent. Kalev is all alone. Only later, in chapter 14, Verse 6, do we hear Joshua um, raise his voice? And this is after the people have already heard the uh, spies reinforce their argument by saying that the land of Israel is a land which eats its inhabitants. After we've heard them describe the way that the people of Canaan are giants and look at them as grasshoppers and the nation cry all night and then they turn round to Moses and say, um, let's appoint another leader and let's go back to egypt the jewish people are jettisoning the entire project of nationhood they simply crumble in fear at the prospect of the military um, endeavor that lies in front of them and they decide to go back to egypt at that point aron al moshevi Moses and Aaron fall on their faces before the community of Israel and Joshua the son of Nun, Kalev the son of Yufune, tear their clothes and they turn round to the people and they say the land that we toward is a very exceedingly good land. If God wants to bring us to the land, he will give it to us. It is a land of of, of flowing with milk and honey, but do not rebel against God. Do not fear the people of the land. They are our bread. Remove their shadow from them. God is with you, with us. Do not be afraid. It was a good try, but the people then try and sort of stone them and the whole thing collapses from that point on. But suddenly now we see Joshua and Caleb as a duo, as a pair. Where was Joshua at the beginning of the process? Why did he not raise his voice originally with Kalev? What exactly is going on here? In order to do this, I want to go to the heart of uh, maybe what is the two different models of leadership. The model of Kalev and the model of Joshua. And they're really very, very different. And in order to begin to express what is happening here, I think uh, we want to turn to um, a third source. Also from the beginning of our parsha, um, and a tradition from the Gemara in Sota, which is brought by Rush. When the spies go around the country, um, an unusual uh, there's an unusual grammatical anomaly here. Uh, we are told here that vayalubanegev uh, they went up through the south of the country, vayavoad Chevron, and they came to Chevron. Chevron uh, is the place where they encountered the giants. However, if you read the text carefully, it says, "Vayaalu plural banegev, vayavo singular ad Chevron." They went up to the Negev. He went into Chevron. Who's the he? Rashi, right here, says, and again, as I said, he's quoting the Gemara in Sota, Lama Dalad Amud and says, "Kalev levado." Kalev was the only one who dared enter the gates of Hebron. Halachsham sham al kivre avot. He is the one who went there to go and pray at the graves of the forefathers. Hebron is, of course, the site of the burial site of Avraham, Yitzchak and Yaakov, of Sarah, Rivka and Leah. And he went to pray, Sh'lo yeni that he should not be influenced by his colleagues, liot Bat Satan. This is uh, a tradition that Rashi says, and uh, this is fascinating, because I want you to think about the contrast between Kalev and Yehoshua. Yehoshua is the one who has Moses praying for him, as we said in our opening lines. Moses gives him a, an additional name to him. He adds from Hosea, he adds a Yud, ya. A yud to his name from Hoshea to Yehoshua and says, may God save you from the, um, opinions of the spies. But Kalev goes alone back to his roots, back to the Avot to pray for himself. What is going on here? And how do we know that it was Kalev? They went up into the Negev and he went into Hebron. How do we know that it is Kalev who uh, actually was the person who went in? The answer to that question is, can be found in Um, in the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, uh, we're told that as the people are going in to the land, and the land has been uh, conquered by the joint Israelite armies, and now it's a question of when each of the tribes and where each of the tribes will settle down. We read the following here in chapter 14. The tribe of Judah approached Yehoshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Yufune, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what God told Moshe concerning me. I was 40 years old when Moshe, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him back word as was in my heart. I have to say this is a strange conversation because if all the previous generation died out. There are only two survivors from the entire generation, and that is Kalev and Yehoshua. And here Kalev is talking to Yehoshua as if Yehoshua doesn't know the story, as if Yehoshua doesn't know that the two of them were spies. (laughs) Um, Maybe he's saying, I brought him back word, as was in my heart. And he's actually saying, why didn't you speak up when I spoke up? Whichever way. I was forty, I'll read again. I was forty years old when Moshe, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. I brought him back word. Ad was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brothers that went up with me caused the heart of the people to melt. But I followed God wholly. And Moshe swore on that day saying, the land upon which your foot trod shall be an inheritance to you and to your children ever." And now continues Kalev. The Lord has kept me alive for these 45 years. I am today 85 years old. I am as strong today as I was on the day that Moshe sent me. As my strength then, then is my strength now. Therefore, give me the mountain of which God spoke on that day. For you heard how the giants were there, and I will drive them out. And Yeshua bin Nun blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Bifuner, as an inheritance. It seems like the land that Kalev walked on in particular is Hebron. Hebron Kalev is the representative of the tribe of and Hebron indeed is the capital city of Judah. And maybe it was natural for Kalev to want to investigate this city during his spying mission. But I want you to uh, imagine this Kalev and think the way that this sort of depicts Kalev. Kalev seems to be intrepid fearless all of the 11 spies including joshua were cowering in the undergrowth outside the walls of shem as they watched the giants in shem patrolling the city walls they talk with great fear about these giants and kale is completely unfazed he steps through uh, out of the undergrowth onto the path goes through the gates and makes his way to the graves of avram Yitzhak, and yaakov to pray he knows that this is his place, and we see this same attitude later on after the land has been conquered. He is the first one to step forward and say, I'm not waiting for you, Joshua, to give out the land. I'm already claiming my land. Hebron, that's where I, went to, I want to go. I know it's the most dangerous place, but I don't care because I know that God has given us the land, and I am fearless. And therefore, Uh, This sort of reminds us of the way that Kalev stepped up unfazed and fearless in front of the entire congregation of Israel. He is a maverick. He leads from the front. He is uh, somebody who you can imagine sitting every night in the company of the spies around the campfire discussing the land that they had explored and all of the spies evaluating yes, no. And it's almost as if Kalev was used to disagreeing with his colleagues. He had debated and argued with them. And he knew exactly what was coming as they reported back to the people and was willing to stand alone against the crowd, to stand alone, resolute against public opinion and um, hold his own. So what are we going to make of Joshua then? Why would Joshua have stayed quiet at this critical moment? And how is Joshua... Different in some way. I think we can go back to understand Yehoshua and look at his name change. What is a name change? The Rashbam notes that there are other instances in Tanakh where a master renames a person rising to a new status or a, or a prodigy. Pharaoh, for example, uh, changes Yosef's name to Tzofnat Paneach when he appoints him to a new position of power. The Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, renames Daniel. Daniel, as Belshazzar. We know other people who have name changes, but these are examples of name changes when you rise to a position of power. And we might even suggest that Moshe gave Yehoshua his name, as the Rashbam says, when he became his assistant. We remember Yehoshua being the Mesharet Moshe, being Moshe's personal assistant at Mount Sinai and waiting for him. Um, waiting there when Moses came down with the tablets of stone and when the golden calf episode was happening. So, Rashbam says that he renamed him Yoshua not at this point, but when he became his assistant and gave him responsibility for his affairs. In other words, Yoshua uh, draws his strength and power from his status as Moshe's student, as Moshe's assistant, and we've seen Yehoshua in many, many circumstances as heading the army against Amalek, as waiting for for, for uh, Moshe on the on Mount Sinai, and even uh, we saw him last week in Parsha Bahalotcha defending Moshe's honor uh, when he thought that other people were taking prophecy into their own hands in the story of Eldad and Medad. If that's true. And Yoshua is used to being the person who sits in the cabinet room taking the minutes. He has learned the corridors of government and knows how to manipulate, um, um, public affairs, uh, through the systems of government. We might think about it this way. Yoshua sat there quietly by the campfire every night for the 40 days and 40 nights that the Meraglim, that the spies toured the land of Israel. And he too, just like Kalev, saw where the wind was blowing. He understood that the spies were going to try and discourage the nation from going into the land of Israel. Kalev debated them every day, every night. He held forth. But Yoshua said, I know what we're going to do. When we get home, they'll say what they say. We'll try and keep it in our circle. If the news gets out, we'll appoint a committee. We'll file a report. And we'll find a way of dealing with this. Yoshua Here's the, here's the report, and unlike Kalev, who stands up against the crowd, again, Yehoshua is a pragmatic man. He's a politician. He knows how to deal with things. He realizes that Kalev is not going to get very far. Moreover, I think that Yehoshua is not going to speak in the presence of his master. Why would Yehoshua get up to stand um, and persuade the nation when the great Moses is standing right behind him? Aha. Uh-huh. So when exactly does Yehoshua stand up? The moment that Yehoshua joins Kalev and stands up to speak the truth is when, and again, I here I return to chapter 14, verse 5, Moshe and Aaron fall on their faces before the congregation of Israel. And Yehoshua and Kalev, those who toured the land, tore their clothes and spoke to the congregation, saying, The land which we toured is exceedingly good. In other words, Yehoshua gets up to speak. Joshua gets up to join Kalev the moment that he sees his great master fall. Joshua, um, then, interestingly enough, continues to serve Moshe for the next 40 years. And it's only after 40 years of being his assistant that God has to choose a new leader. Who does he choose? Does he choose Kalev, the maverick, the person who strides out alone, what does he choose Joshua, a person who has known the halls of power, the corridors of government for the last 40 years? Interestingly, he chooses Yehoshua. I frequently wonder whether Yehoshua and Kalev really got along because they seem to be very, very different. Yehoshua works through systems. He is a team player. He is somebody who works through uh, you know, official channels um and knows how to organize things in the guise of, of, of the way that nations and governments do. Kalev is far more uh, from the heart, from the gut. Kalev is a person with great spirit in him. Um, and Kalev is full of full of passion. And yet Kalev is, is a loner. He is a person who stands apart, who stands alone. I started off by asking the question about where our influence comes from. Who do we influence? And I raised the question, do you see yourself as a leader? Many of us don't see ourselves as leaders because we don't always see ourselves as the person filled with charisma, as the person who stands alone on a stage, as the person who um, can stand before great throngs and be able to wow them and woo them and to be able to influence them with our rhetoric or with our amazing personality. And yet here I think the Torah says that there are two good spies. Two people who tried to exert their influence, who tried to persuade, who tried to hold the truth, even when it wasn't popular. And here we have a contrast in leadership styles. We have the loner, the maverick, the charismatic ideologue, Kalev. And then we have maybe the more quiet team player, the person who works uh, through systems and through uh, official channels, and that is Yehoshua. Ironically. We might expect that Yehoshua wouldn't necessarily pull through; he'd remain in his grey suit uh, in a back office somewhere. And yet, Yehoshua actually becomes the national leader. And this tells me that different times of leadership, different types of leadership, have their different times. Different types of leadership uh, each have their place. And maybe we shouldn't ask ourselves, "Am I a leader?" But we should ask ourselves, "What type of leader am I? How can I take the truths?" that I believe in, and influence the circle around me, whether it's a intimate circle or whether it's a wide circle? How can I contribute what I have within my personality, the ideals to which I subscribe my life, the things that I really care about? How can I bring them into the circles that I care about and actually persuade, or maybe not even persuade, quietly um, weigh in, influence um others, so that eventually we can all see that we are leaders. Maybe leaders for our family. Maybe leaders for our synagogue. Maybe leaders in our workplace. But always to feel that we can stand up for the truths that we believe in when we still see that what is going on around is going in the wrong direction. Thank you very much for listening. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you Rabbi Israel. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode of Pradesh from Jerusalem.